With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Tennis.com podcast, the first one of 2015. It's myself and Steve Tigner. We uh, want to get back together for, you know, what I consider, Steve, if you think about it, uh, just from a sheer volume standpoint, this this week and the week to follow right before the Australian Open might be the two weeks for, you know, the ultimate tennis junkie. There's there's almost no breaks in coverage if you really want to sit down and and watch it from you know starting in the the late evening hours of the day before, and then you know the, the Australian t- tournaments end in the morning, and then there's a couple of Middle Eastern events you know that pick right up after that, and uh, and you know people are already you know even though the off season is is so short, people you know at least some that uh, tend to tweet every single thing that happens. You know this is like a dream come true here. Yeah, I think what there's six tournaments and there's the Hopman Cup. And the, um, yep, and the hopping. And you know, you, we all. I think a lot of us wish the off season were longer, but the first week is a is a great week. The first two weeks, you know, you're you feel like you're ready for it, and everybody's playing. You know, the only trouble is you get to February, and then there's not as much. But but um, yeah, you're right. Leading into the Australian Open, the Australian summer is a, is a really good you know really good time for a fan. Yeah, and maybe that's why the Australian Open works so well because. You know, on the face of it, on the schedule, you you might be inclined to say, you know, why isn't, and there's more complicated reason for this, but why isn't the Aussie in February? Why isn't it even in March and taking place of some other tournaments? But, but the year starts out so so heavy, and uh, you, you can you can really feel kind of a lot going into an event that starts, you know, just two weeks into the year. And like you said, it it really does feel like things tail off so, so much in February there that, you know, I I think perhaps this is a reason why the Australian Open's fortunes, you know, continue, I think, to, to improve year after year. And and it really, you know, has become just, uh, you know, such a a stronger and stronger event. Yeah, I think this is the biggest, you know, pre-Aussie um, lead up that I can remember, you know, you've got Federer, Nadal, Djokovic this year, who usually doesn't play. Now he's decided to play in Doha, Serena. Pretty much everybody who's not in a tournament is in Hopman Cup. Murray, um, Sharapova. You know, I can't really remember a, a better opening week than, than this one. Yeah, so, you know, so there's, you know, there's been a lot. I think I feel like already, and you know, we're only really midway through the first week, and you know, many of the big names that you mention are have still, you know, are playing. Of course, not too many of them have played, you know, many matches. But you know, one exception, obviously, we wanted to lead off with is Rafael Nadal, who 
who comes back, uh, starts his 2015 season actually a little, you know, technically about a week before in Abu Dhabi, the really loaded exhibition event. You know, obviously a lot of cash, you know, cycling through the the players' hands in that one, but. But uh, he takes he, he he wins one match. He takes a really one-sided loss to to Andy Murray in the other, and then you know moving on to Doha, which is actually a tournament he's done you know very very well in in the past. Um, you know considering some of his shortcomings in in Melbourne, uh, he's done well in this one. But you know not this year. He loses to M- Michael Barrere. Um, and, you know, that one was one of the matches I know you caught there. So, you know, what have you seen from Rafa so far? It's, uh, you know, obviously incredibly early, but what did you see from maybe that match in particular? Yeah, he, um, you know, in one, of course it's surprising that he would lose to Barrer, who's ranked 127th. He's 34. This is his last year on tour. Nadal's never had a, a real problem with him. But the times that I've watched their matches before, I always thought that Barrer could do better, mainly because he's left-handed. He sort of fits some of the guys who, who can challenge Rafa. He's left-handed. Rafa lost to two lower-ranked lefties at the end of last year, Feliciano Lopez and, and Martin Clizan. And Barrer, he hits big. You know, he's, he can out-hit. You have to be able to do that, take your chances and make the shots, and he, he did that. So in that sense, it's not, not as surprising. But what's interesting is a Rafa started out the match really good. One, you know, the first set six-one looked pretty much normal, and then played poorly after that. He didn't, you know, he didn't get off to a slow start and then get better. Got off to a good start and then played worse. Started to make a lot of errors. Um, sort of let Barrere take control, and you know, Barrere had nothing to lose, so that's that's understandable. But um, now Rafa, you know, now I mean, the concerning thing—that's just one match. I guess the concerning thing is now Rafa has talked about either not playing the Australian Open or how he's destined to not do well at the Australian Open. I know he doesn't like to play, even enter tournaments that he doesn't think he can win. So that's a little bit concerning that he's still he's still worried about injuries or worried about his form that much. Well, it, it, it does seem that overall Rafa has, I think, taken sort of a different tune. Uh, you know, he has always kind of been, I think, perhaps sort of fatalistic in, in the way he talks about himself. He, you know, he's his worst critic. Um, we've seen that many times, but, you know, he did make a point to say in this off season that the, uh, you know, the number one ranking, which is more really a test of quantity over quality. That's, you know, that's something that he does not anticipate really focusing on as a goal any longer. And I think, I, I think he is, it seems that really he's he's taken the bigger picture approach that you know we've always kind of discussed but but until recently Roth has never really uh, embraced and so you know when when he makes some some comments about like that about the Australian Open it, to me it almost you know it almost wouldn't be a great shock any longer considering he he's pulled out of uh, almost every Grand Slam before except you know the French Open of course. Um, it wouldn't be a terrible shock if, if you know, if Rafa up and decided that, you know, this just is not worth it and, you know, the the competition really doesn't lend itself. You know, just like last year, he made the final and, in you know, really it was kind of undone by, you know, an injury that could obviously kind of flare up, you know, at any point here. Yeah, he also might be thinking, you know, he sort of sounds like he wants to take the use the pattern that he did in 2013. He's sort of saying... I don't know what's going to happen in Australia, but I know I'll be in 
South America for the clay courts after that. And that's what he did um, two years ago. He skipped Australia at sort of the last minute, started off on clay in, in Vigna del Mar in South America, and then really went on a tear through the whole year. Maybe he, you know, maybe he thinks that's, you know, that's a better way for him to get into the year. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, the, and the one thing, too, for Rafa will remember is that he will, uh, I'm almost certain, there, I don't think there's any way this could change this week, is, you know, he will be able to perhaps ease into that Australian Open as you know as much as you could say that's the case, because he will have a top four seed. Um, you know, that could certainly change after that. He'll He'll be defending quite a few points there. Of course, you know, you have to consider best of five sets and, you know, the the heat in Australia. But, you know, it it kind of is showing itself again that, you know, Rafa, it, you know, his play at, at this slam, you know, will probably be one of the, you know, one of, if not the biggest story, you know, going into the men's event here. So there's, you know, a lot to see and really, I think, a lot of unknown, you know, based on such a short sample of matches thus far for him, um, you know. And we'll move on, you know, after that to someone who I think is also a bit of an unknown um, at the Australian Open, you know, not because of her history. She's a two-time champion there, but, you know, because of obviously you know, she, Victoria Azarenka, she had a year that you might say was comparable to Rafa is in some ways, uh, you know, not so in other ways. She's actually going to be unseated at the Aussie Open and is, pros- you know, is probably certainly the most dangerous player that you could that you could unseat at an event that she's you know done so so well at recently um you know we've seen a lot in written about Azarenka uh, there was a nice piece in the times by Chris Clary who you and I both know well um you know a profile on her that I think really painted her as someone who you know, is kind of a you know really renewed going into this year after a really troublesome year both on and off the court and, you know, we didn't get a chance, you and I, to talk about Vika a lot in the season preview. You handled the men. Um, you know, so what, you know, what do you think really about Azarenka going into this year? I mean, are there expectations you may have for her? Or is it kind of really, you know, a feeling out process? Yeah, it's hard. You know, I thought in the middle of last year when she came back that, you know, she would just go straight back to top three. Didn't really happen. Um, she's talked about now her emotional issues last year as well as well as physical issues and I think she's she definitely wants to put those behind her and definitely seems determined to put those behind her even after her loss you know in in Brisbane she she came out really sounding like like she wants to be upbeat about this and 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 sort of think of this as a new season and and be positive at all costs um we'll see she has the game to be as as soon as she gets on any kind of momentum, obviously has the game to be top two, top three, um, and Australia is the place that she's she's done in the past. But I don't know if I I don't know if I can see her having a great Australian Open now. After you know, it's almost like she needs some more time um, to get back to get back. So I would say around if you look at her around Indian Wells and and Key Biscayne, other other tournaments that she does well and sort of maybe assess her her at that point. So there's nothing there's no one who has come up that I would see who is who she can't beat other than Serena. You know, even 
Simona Halep, I think Azarenka has the game when she's on her game, she has the game to beat to beat anyone. So that's still that's still the same. I think it, maybe it's just a matter of time before before she gets the, the momentum back. Yeah, this is you know she is definitely a, a streaky one of the more streakier players on, on tours. You know she even had a winning streak that lasted until Indian Wells a couple of years ago. It'll be interesting actually to um, you know to see in Melbourne. I think the reception that she gets, to be honest, will be kind of telling, you know, I, I think to see you know, she's never, I think, really, you know, never really been embraced by the crowds, even at a, even at the venue where she won two titles. You know, she was always, um, you know, one of the finals she beat Lina, you know, obviously a very strong crowd favorite there. Um, and, you know, we have, you know, her well-spoken well of uh vocal grunting issues on the court there and uh you have, she have the sloan stevens incident you can go on and on and on there so i think you know it would be interesting as well just to see kind of the reception she gets there too yeah i would be surprised some other you know we've seen some other top women players in recent years sort of fade a little bit well, carolyn wasniacki faded down the rankings um obviously yankovic was at the top and faded down the ranks i don't i would be really surprised if if azarenka is healthy and is not in the top three, top four going forward. You know, I just don't see her not being near the top if she's if she's healthy for a long period of time. Yeah, um, we'll bounce around the the circuit to Chennai now. We'll, uh, you know, that's another venue where another tournament is taking place. A uh, smaller, probably one of the smallest ones of the week. Um, in in that event, yeah, you know, we had an interesting match today between Stan Wawrinka, who I think perhaps a lot will be, will be is curious to see how he plays 2015. You know, considering you know I, how well he did in 2014, he played and defeated Borna Chorich, who um, you know for a lot of reasons I think has got some attention. He Chorich last year, he handed Nadal actually his final defeat of the season in Basel. Um, Chorich was really, you know, known before that, you know, I think by those really in the know of the sport as as really one of the top up-and-coming players. And, you know, he also had this, I think, uh, sort of regrettable but perhaps likely taken out of context interview that was that got some traction online you know he called himself um you know the best of my generation uh when asked about you know the younger crop of ATP players and really even drew some comparisons of himself to Novak Djokovic Andy Murray uh, he did kind of later rescind a lot of that saying what I was saying about it being taken out of context but He's a confident player, you know, undoubtedly. So, if you watch this match, um, you know, Stan wins this one. But maybe, you know, some thoughts on both guys, you know, in particular Chorich. Yeah, we've had the we've had baby Federer. Um, that's Dimitrov. Now Chorich is the baby Djokovic, and you know that, and you can sort of see it. But Chorich plays a kind of a relentless baseline game, but two hand backhand moves well. Um, he's not as smooth. As as Djokovic and probably not as fast, but but you can sort of see some of the comparison. George uh, said himself that when he plays well, he's like Djokovic, and when he doesn't play well, he's like Murray. So that is just that, that's gold to me. I right? don't know what that means exactly. If he's saying he's he cannot play well and still be the Wimbledon champion, I mean, I, <laughs> I think that he means that. I don't know what he means exactly, but I did uh, in his match against um, Bob Rinka today. I did notice that his 
second serve was reminded me of Murray's, which is not a good thing. It was pretty short. Um, but he, you know, he's a guy, I would say the, the negative on him is maybe he doesn't have a huge, one huge weapon like Nick Kyrgios, another young player, has the huge serve. But the positive is that, that Chorich is pretty relentless and, and pretty mentally tough. He lost the first set 6-1 to Vavrinka, but he didn't give up. He, he, um, he could have been broken early in the second. He held on. He made the most of the second set and lost it 6-4. So from that perspective, it was a positive. I, th- I really thought Vavrinka was playing well. He looks like, he's so- this is sort of reminding me of the end of last year and the beginning of 2014, where he had a good, he had a good end of a year won Chennai and then won the Australian Open. This time he had a good end with, with um, Davis Cup and the World Tour Finals. He's looking good in Chennai. He you know, wasn't missing much in this match. Uh, you know, We'll see what happens going forward, but you sort of get to feeling like he's, he's in contention again. Yeah, he's very I, consistent I, in this match. I agree with that, especially you know, thinking just a couple little bit down the road you know, with uncertainty with Nadal. You had word today that actually it's Sanga pulled out of the Aussie Open. Um, Chilich also seems you know questionable for the tournament. And you know, thinking about it, I, I think what would be uh, fantastic is to see uh, the uh, yeah, as you put it, the Nolan Stan show. You know, the the you know the third part of that trilogy at the Australian Open. You know, we've seen two of the best matches of the previous two years between those two in Australia. Um, and I, I think, you know, especially, you know, a year after Stan really demonstrated that, you know, he, he's not going to, you know, will in the biggest moments necessarily anymore um, against, you know, a player, Djokovic, who I think has got to want to resume his reign as Aussie Open champion after a lull last year. You know, he lost to Ravrinka, of course. You know, I think that would be fantastic to see that match, you know, whether it's... It would be obviously very, very late round, semifinal or final, but I think, you know, even more so than maybe a Federer-Djokovic, I think I think that would be outstanding to see. Yeah, I think Ravrinka, when you look at the, as, look at the guys going into the Australian Open, he stands out for being healthy, you know. Rafa is, is obviously questionable. Djokovic, you know, he's had a fever. He'll, he should be fine. Um, uh, Murray has a, sh- you know, has a shoulder issue now suddenly. Those things might be fine, but you look at Vavrinka, he looks pretty – he doesn't have any issues. He looks pretty strong. If those guys are not at their best, you know, he becomes a real favorite up with, with Djokovic and Federer. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I think we'll end with this about – the Aussie Open is that, you know, what we're going to see over the next, uh, you know, when the tournament starts and for anybody that is going to be staying up through the night or even catching it when you wake up early in the morning on the East Coast, um, you're going to catch a lot of the, you know, national players from Australia on these telecasts because they're going to get the prime uh, courts, the prime times. It's just like it is, you know, in Paris with the French players, right in the U.S. You know, at the at the Open with the Americans. Um, you know, you're going to be seeing a lot of, you know, and I I say this with the reservation that they actually have to keep winning their matches to get these times. But you know, you're going to see Tomic, you're going to see Kyrgios, of course. Um, Thanasi Kakanigas, who who played today against Tomic, well, you know. This he is another player that Tennis Australia is surely going to want to give that spotlight, hoping that you know he can really you know make the impression that Kyrgios did last year. 
Um, you know, you'll be seeing a lot of these players. I think it's a pretty strong time, you know, for the youth movement for Australia. We had, you know, Hewitt really kind of carrying the load for what seemed to be forever, you know, giving us that, um, you know, that four hour, five set epic, but inevitably going out in the second round or something like that. But this is a pretty good time for Australian tennis, you know, and I think I'll, I'll kind of leave it to you to maybe, you know, talk about some of those guys, even, even Tomich, for example, who, you know, who seems to have at least, you know, outwardly said that, you know, this is the kind of the playtime is really over and it, it really hit a, a bottomed out, I think last year at the Australian open. Yeah. Um, the Australia, you know, the Australians haven't had a men's winner, haven't had a champion, um, for a long time, but the men in recent years have tended to do well, or at least create a lot of buzz during this part of the season. And really had their best part of the season during this part of the season. Hewitt, Tomic, he always seems to, you know, he always seems ready down there, and then when he gets out of Australia, he's lost. So I would expect him to have a good, you know, he's already won a couple matches in Brisbane, so I would ex- I would expect him to have another good run through the Australian Open, or at least a newsmaking run. Kyrgios, obviously, he loves it. He loves it down there. We're gonna he's gonna do he'll make noise for sure in Australia. But now, I think Kokonakis is the next guy we're looking at. He's a, he's younger than Kyrgios. They're good friends. They played each other in an Aussie junior final he's got he doesn't have the huge game huge serve that Kyrgios does but in a way he seems like a almost a more versatile more talented overall player he can do a lot of different things um he's a fun guy to watch he lost a you know he won his first round over Beneteau which is a good win top 30 win he lost to Tomic in a pretty close first set um yeah I actually I actually caught him I actually caught Kaganikis at the um at the open last year in qualifying and, and I, I I see what you mean about him. You know, there's a clear difference between him and Kyrgios. They were lumped a little bit together early last year, um, because they really both kind of emerged, you know, into the public conscious in Melbourne, you know, as the year went on, Kyrgios just, you know, blew by him in terms of what we saw. Um you know, Kyrgios to me, and I saw him at the Open too, it was a pleasure really to watch Kyrgios up close as well. You know, the thing with Nick is that we are, he he is coming off of, a, you know, still kind of an injury. I, I can't recall exactly what it is, but, but he, I think the health is not, I don't think he's at 100% right now, but... You know, when, when, you know, everybody saw him play Rafa at Wimbledon and beat Rafa, uh, he never looked for even a second like he didn't belong out there. And, and this, you know, you talk about confident players in Borna Chorich, you, you know, putting him against uh, Kyrgios would be the ultimate sort of testosterone match possibly. But, but Kyrgios, I mean, it would be a real treat to see, you know, kind of his follow-up, the sequel to his Australian Open, because... You know, I think when I think when we the when we think about who might eventually kind of break that streak, like Murray did, you know, at Wimbledon for, you know, for Australia, um, you know, what we saw from Kyrgios last year was really special to watch. I mean, one other match I want to point out from him is is I remember, you know, it was a it was really one of the the the, the lower the lower level night matches of the Open. Uh, he plays Tommy Robredo and. I don't think I've ever seen 
a demolition so thorough from him in the first, I think, set and a half. It was Roberto couldn't even win points against this kid. And then just suddenly, you know, the tide turned and really he kind of faded away a bit. So I think it'll be a feeling out process for Kyrgios, but I think not only for this Aussie Open, for, but for this entire 2015 season, Kyrgios is going to be one of the guys to watch. Yeah, yeah, he has the attitude, you know. He's cocky enough. He believes in himself. And that's a big deal. That's the one thing you, maybe you look at Kokonakis as maybe a nicer, more laid-back guy. But I do like Kokonakis' game in the long run. I'll be curious to see what kind of inroads he can make you know, with it. So, um, so that, you know, that, that in itself will be interesting. In the, that'll make a good first week at the Australian Open. Yeah. Lovely stuff. We will be talking a lot more about uh, – all these tournaments, the Aussie Open, of course, uh, check back in on Friday for uh, one of Steve's pieces about the first week here. We have lots more to come on Tennis.com throughout the month leading up to and including the Aussie Open. So for Steve Tigner, I'm Ed McGrogan. Thanks for listening to the Tennis.com podcast. We'll be back next Wednesday. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 